it a great privilege to be here this morning to bring God's word. And like we all know, we are still looking on mission. And so this is the concluding part of the message on mission. So I would, uh, I'm grateful that as a church, we're a part of what God has been doing and has been doing in the surroundings, in Hall, and even in the nations beyond. It's also very exciting that Jubilee is a part of Regions Beyond, and one of the values of Regions Beyond is devoted to mission, working in fulfilling the great commission of Jesus in transforming lives, transforming the city of Hall, and across the nations of the world for Christ. So last Sunday, Steve shared with us on what mission is and how mission should be. He shared that we are mission and we are all missionaries to share God's love wherever. It's very interesting that most, most times when we think about mission or missionaries, we think about somebody going to somewhere far away in Africa eating ants and cockroaches or things like that, <laughs> living in a very weird surroundings. But Steve was able to bring it out very clearly that we are mission and we are missionaries and that we should be the good news and share the good news. And so taking this further this morning, I want to challenge our hearts this morning on why mission? Why mission? Why? Why? And also, we'll also be looking at our own roles as individuals in the local church that we're in, in mission. So I want to start by considering this statement that I've made here before that changed my perspective on the role of the church in God's plan. I want us to put the next slide. When the church functions as a cruise ship, God grounds because it was meant to be a lifeboat. If we look at the picture of the cruise ship there, I want us to take a guess about what cruise ship that was. Titanic, yes. All right, so let's just put that aside for a minute. Mission is a process of filling the lifeboat. The lifeboat looks very insignificant compared to that gigantic cruise ship. Mission is about fulfilling, filling the lifeboats, rescuing the perishing, as one hymn writer puts it. So to better illustrate the value of a lifeboat, I want to use this true life story we all know about that till date in history has been recorded as one of the world's worst maritime disaster. The sinking of the unsinkable ship. Over 2,000 people set up on a cruise, and four days into this journey, about 100 years ago, over 1,500 perished. The interesting composition of the ship is something I want us to consider very briefly. It was said to be made up of the very rich to the very poor. So you had all categories of people living there, traveling in different styles, right, to different de destinations in America. We can also use this to illustrate the world that we are in now, the differences we have in the world, the different nations, the old, the young, the rich, the poor, all traveling on the cruise boat called life. And for those people, they were traveling in different styles until disaster struck 
at 11.40 p.m. with just 700 people surviving the ordeal. The 700 people were saved by a lifeboat. According to a study by Battles 2001, what caused the loss of life was the inadequate number of lifeboats. So what looked so insignificant was able to save 700. What happened to the 1,500? It's very interesting to also note that they had just 20 lifeboats. So why did they have just 20 lifeboats, enough for just 1,178 persons on a cruise ship that was meant to carry over 2,000 persons? It was preventable death. I would not want us to, be, to bore us with the details of the human errors that led to it, but it's very interesting to note here why did it just happen that most of the people that were saved were the wealthy, there were women and there were children that were saved on that boat. I want us rather to focus on some important lessons that brings to fore the function and the importance of the lifeboat. Number one, the world we are in right now is indeed in crisis point, as noted by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, from verses 1 to 13. Some of us might not want to read that passage of the Bible because it talks about the end times, what's going to happen. This description of all that Jesus said in this place is more relevant with what's happening today. You just need to put on your television and listen to what we're, what's happening in the world today. The troubled waters of natural disasters, earthquakes, floodings, human disaster, violence, wickedness, political instability, economic meltdown, just name it. And we might be wondering, how worse can this get? What about our own personal struggles and challenges, including the self-inflicted ones we've put ourselves into? The second thing that I want to bring to the fore on the function of the lifeboats is it was either the lifeboat or death in freezing water. That was why some people on board the ship were said to be reluctant in boarding the boat initially. They thought, no, this ship cannot sink. It's impossible. Because they were thinking about going into that flimsy-looking boat in the freezing water. But all those that survived were saved by passage on the lifeboat. Everyone that survived. So it was a matter of choice, a decision to choose life or death. The third thing, looking at the function of the lifeboats, is the cruise ship was fitted to function for pleasure. It was fitted to function for pleasure. But of what value was this when crisis came knocking? What shall it profit a man, the Bible says, if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Mark chapter 8, verse 36. I just remember very quickly a story that someone told me some years back about a man that was very ill in the hospital on admission. And the nurse came in, was the nurse that was sharing the story. She came into the ward and the, the man, the sick man said, I want you to open that bag there. And she opened it and there was money stashed in the bag. And she said, I wish I could give somebody that money for my life. What shall it profit a man 
if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What's the value of the money built up in stock, in properties, wherever? What shall he profit a man, the Bible says? The fourth thing I want us to also consider regarding the, the lifeboat is we should look at all the people that perished in that disaster, the rich and the poor, irrespective. The only thing that made a difference between life and death was a seat in the lifeboat. A seat in the lifeboat. If we look at Mark chapter 16, verse 15, looking at mission now, Jesus said, go into the world and preach the good news to all, all creation. Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The Greek translation says good news. So what's the good news? The message of salvation in Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. John chapter 14, verse 6. What good news, you may ask again. Eternal life with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What good news that there is hope that there is peace, there is deliverance from the bondage of sin, freedom from the bondage of addiction. It is real. I've experienced it, and I know there are many testifiers here this morning, that it is real. The message is real. It's real. For anyone that has experienced this deliverance, you can bear witness to what I'm saying, that it is true. It is only Jesus that gives and guarantees salvation. There is no other religion. There is no other religion, I make bold to say this morning, that gives that freedom. Therefore, functioning as a lifeboat concept for the mission is for us to understand these three basic things. The message is for everyone. We shouldn't keep it to ourselves. The tough thing, we need to have what you call an urgency of approach is a life or death thing. So we need to have that sense of urgency. I need to do this. I need to be a part of this. It's not a pleasure trip, I would say. When you're on the lifeboat, it's not about pleasure, it's about surviving. So it's not a pleasure trip. In the last discussion Jesus had with his disciples before his ascension, Acts chapter one, verse eight, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And witnesses are testifiers, people that have experienced something and have something to say about it. They are able to share based on what they have gone through. And an example I would like us to consider this morning is a very untypical testifier, the Samaritan woman. The story is in John chapter 4 from verses 4 to 42. A woman, after her one, just one single time encounter with Jesus, led to the conversion of the whole town. And she was what you call an untypical testifier based on her track records. So Matthew, uh, from John chapter 4, from the 
4 to 42 tells us the story of this woman, but I'm just going to pick out some things about it. From verse 39, he says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. 42 said, They said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you've said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I just want to give a brief recap of the story for the benefit of those of us that don't really know what happened. In verse 4, where the story started for, Jesus needed to go through uh, to go, to go to Galilee through Samaria. And as he sat by a well while his disciples went to, into the city to look for food, a woman appeared to draw some water. And in verse 7 of it, the question, give me water to drink by Jesus, led to a very long discussion that reveals some very intimate secrets about this woman. At the end of the conversation, Jesus revealed who he was, and next, she ran off to tell others, how did this happen? Particularly for a woman with a repetition. How did this happen, I would wonder. At a point in time, then, back in history, where women were more or less second-class citizens, with no voice, and she must have had a repetition because the Bible records that she went about noon to fetch water from the well. And typically then, women went to the well in the evening times, not noon. So she typically went there where there'll be no one there and she could draw the water and take it home. So maybe to escape the gossips because she didn't want people to talk about her because of all that she had done. But this, I would say, was indeed a God-ordained encounter. Why did this woman defer tradition or customs? And why did she reach out to the same people that had castigated her for her actions? It's very obvious from this that indeed she had taken a drink of the living water Jesus offered her. The first thing I want to bring out about this story is she had found the Messiah, the giver of life. Verses 25 to 26 said, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. So she knew something about it. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And 26 said, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And the Bible records that, then she ran off after that to spread the good news, leaving her water jar, one of her prized possessions, at that particular point in time in history. She ran off with the news. She ran off with the good news to the very same people that might have rejected her. The second thing about it, if we look at verse 29, is that she had found answers to her many questions, the longings of her soul, the satisfaction she might have been looking for in the many husbands. The Bible says she had five husbands. When Jesus said, go call your husband, she said, I don't have one. 
And Jesus said, you were right about that because the one you are living with isn't your husband. And what did she say? She said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And so she went out to witness, to testify, to spread the good news. None of us sat here in this room will leave an animal that has fallen into the pit or hurt itself without responding. Most often times, neither would we leave a fellow human being that has been hurt. So in summary, she had found he who could quench her thirst, the giver of life, and so took her story forward for others also to come be partakers. She couldn't keep it to herself. She needed to testify, and she went with her story. So in testifying, thinking about the lifeboat we've been talking about, this woman also shared with others what God has done in her life. It's not only about sharing our stories. Testifying is not only about speaking. It's much more about how we live our life, how we are. And this is becoming more and more apparent and more and more relevant in the society that we're in today, where sharing of our faith can be termed as offensive, as simply as wearing a cross can be termed as offensive, or it can be termed as a display of religious fervor. So how do we play this out in the society that we live in today? Matthew chapter 5 from verses 14 to 16 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus still speaking in verse 16 said, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This can be simply said to be, we can simply say, are you a nice person? Can people say she is a nice person? Can people say he is a nice person? That's just a simple way of talking about being a light that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Someone shared a story back, long back ago, that someone was teaching in a Sunday school class to some kids, and he was talking about Jesus, talking about the attributes of Jesus. Jesus was good, he was kind, he healed the sick, he did that. And a little boy kept raising up his hand while the, the... teacher, Sunday school teacher was teaching, and he now said, yes, what do you have to say? He said, I know Jesus. He lives on my streets. He lives on my streets. So can people say of you, she is nice, or he is nice? That is how we can testify of what God is doing, and people will be drawn to what we have to say. Because people don't care how much we know, they care how much we care. So bringing this all together now, 
Mission is a rescue operation. Mission is a rescue mission. Getting people out. It is a desperate situation to alleviate crisis. And there are four key things I want to say about mission being a rescue operation. It is first and foremost seeing people as God sees them, valued, beloved of God, that God loves everyone equally no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we are coming from or where we are going to. Mission is not a place of comfort. It is not. It is a life or death situation. It is reaching out with our stories, reaching out with our lives to lead people to Jesus. I want us to go back to the scripture we read earlier, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was the commission Jesus gave his disciples just before he ascended back to heaven. You would receive power. The Holy Spirit we have given to us is not for us to sit down with it. The Holy Spirit is not for us to keep it to ourselves, to enjoy what we are enjoying with God. It's for us to move out, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, where we are, in all Judea, stepping forward, and to the ends of the earth. That is why we've been given the Holy Spirit. The Samaritan woman started from her own neighborhood. She had gotten into the lifeboat to safety, and reached out to her community to do the same, for them to meet the giver of life. And people rushed to Jesus because of that woman's testimony. I'm sure they must have been wondering, do we really need to see, because we know this woman, we know her. So let's see what she's talking about. So what should be our response as individuals and as a part of our local church, Jubilee, and as a part of regions beyond. Three key things. Go, give, or pray. Go, give, or pray. Go, be a witness. Share your story. Share your light. Be a friend. Share that smile with people. Be nice to people. Go, be a witness, share your story, be the light, be a friend. Give. Support the work with your time, with your finances, with your skills, and any other physical resources you have. Give. Then pray. We have the prayer bulletin given to us. There's a lot to pray for. Pray for the harvest, pray for souls. Pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because we cannot do it in our own power. It says, but you will receive power. So the Holy Spirit comes to give us that enablement to be able to tell people, share the gospel. We need the Holy Spirit to touch people's lives because we can't change. You can't change anyone. You can't. You can't change anyone. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts 
It's the Holy Spirit that turns people. It's the Holy Spirit that prompts people to want to receive Jesus. We also need to pray for God to demonstrate his power. We need to pray for salvation of souls. We need to pray for family. We need to pray for neighbors. We need to pray for the work of the church itself. We need to pray for all. We need to pray for the nations. We need to pray. We need to pray. So I challenge us with go, give, and pray. We have the word of life. So why keep quiet? Why keep still? We can't keep quiet when you have the word of life. We can't keep still, but to go give and pray. God has strategically located us in Jubilee Church, I'm proud to say this morning, a church with a heart for mission, both here and beyond. And he desires everyone that is sat in this room to be partners in rescuing the perishing, in going, in giving, and in praying that souls will be saved for God's kingdom. In closing, this scripture is still there for us to prompt our hearts to know that we need the Holy Spirit to carry out this task. He desires our response this morning. He desires our response. He wants us to do something about it this morning. In turning unto him to empower us, to lead us, to take over the city for Christ. In response... I would want to ask, will you want to rise up and join in this rescue mission? We looked at the lifeboat and we saw what the lifeboat is all about. It's a rescue mission. I want us to ponder in our hearts even as we think about it, asking ourselves, what would you have me do, Lord? What do you want me to do? And I also want to say very, very importantly, if you have not met with Jesus, you need to get into this lifeboat. Do you want to be rescued this morning? You need to start the journey with Jesus. You need to step into the lifeboat. Do you want to get into the lifeboat this morning? Go, give, and pray. I want us to rise up now. And I want Steve to come up. Challenge.